Peace to you. Welcome back to The Naked Truth, and thank you for joining me. As always, I hope this finds you well. Let's pick up where we left off in the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 5. I'm going to begin with verse 1. If you want to read along with me, here we go. So all the work that Solomon had done for the house of the Lord was finished. And Solomon brought in the things which his father, David, had dedicated, the silver and the gold and the, all the furnishings. He put them in the treasuries of the house of God. So Solomon is King David, David and Goliath is David, his son. He's the one who's ruling now. He's the president of the earth, the king. Um, and now he's built the temple and laid lots of things in gold and precious metals and finished it. His son Solomon did that. Verse 2, now Solomon assembled the elders of all is of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief fathers of the children of Israel in Jerusalem, that they might bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord up from the city of David, which is Zion. So um, Solomon is setting up the ceremony, basically, for them to um, celebrate and prepare um, everything for the new temple that's been built. Verse 3, Therefore all the men of Israel assembled, with the king at the feast, which was in the seventh month. I'm not sure when the um, calendar begins for the people at this time. It's not the same as ours. I think the first month of their year, uh, the Hebrew calendar is, some, is March or April, if I remember right. But don't quote me on that. You can look it up yourself and see. Um, and then count from there seven months. So this is most likely what we think. In modern times, as I mean, in uh, our culture, by the regular, uh, by the other calendar, um, December, I'm guessing somewhere around there. But again, don't quote me on that. You can look it up yourself, though. Um, verse four. So all the elders of Israel came, and the Levites took up the ark. So um, the Levites were the religious branch of the twelve tribes that are um, dedicated to. The religion and handling all the different religious articles, um, including the ark, like the Raiders of the Lost Ark, ark that um, it refers to the real deal with them, that ark. Verse 5 Then they brought up the ark, the tabernacle of meeting, and all the holy furnishings that were in the tabernacle. The priests and the Levites brought them up. So uh, the priests and Levites handled the holy articles and the ark being probably one of the most holy of the articles. It's basically a chest that contains the two tab stone tablets of the Ten Commandments, the rod, staff, the stick that uh, Moses' brother, Moses with the Ten Commandments, that his brother Aaron held. It contains that. Uh, so it's probably pretty big. Um, and it... Um, and it also is said to contain a jar of the manna, the miraculous bread that the people ate during the 40 years of their so-called wandering through the wilderness on their way to where they are now, the so-called promised land. Um, so that was in the ark, and the ark has different sort of supernatural attributes uh, um, that it seems to exhibit, uh, levitating, and destroying masses of people, causing plagues, and that sort of thing. That's the same ark. Um, and it's one of their highest holy relics that um, 
that they um, used in their worship. Verse 6, also King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel who were assembled with him before the ark were sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be counted or numbered for multitude. So when it says sacrificing them, that's not the way people sacrifice in modern times where they'll give up eating something and call that sacrificing it, which is some people's way of adhering to some of these um, different standards and um, um, I guess um, rituals. Um, but the ritual, the way they were doing it was actually slaughtering the animals. And it says in so many that they couldn't even count them. So imagine the slaughterhouse being so busy, like 24, uh, 24-7, people steady slaughtering animals so they could worship, uh, use them in their uh, religious worship and sacrifice them, basically barbecue them. Um, and then um, it's so many that they couldn't even count it. Verse 7, then the priest brought in the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to its place into the inner sanctuary of the temple to the most holy place under the wings of the cherubim. So um, now the temple has been built. The place for the uh, Ark has been erected. And now the Ark itself has been put, uh, put into place uh, under the wings. Even though preachers, some preachers will tell you angels don't have wings. It's saying right there, the cherubim, which are a class of angels, uh, a type of angels, has, at least the way it's described, has wings in the Bible, has wings, and they're spread out, and that's what uh, not so much conceals, but um, yeah, I guess conceals would be it conceals the uh, the uh, holy the ark, so that presumably when God makes God's appearance there on the ark. Um, you can see the presence, the light and whatnot emitting from the presence, but the actual physical uh, appearance of how God looks is concealed by the angel's wings that are spread out um, over that ark. So that's what it's, um, what it's described as. So whether it's God Almighty or not appearing there or whatever entity it is they're interacting with, that's what the idea behind it is with the um, way it's all set up. Verse 8. So the cherubim spread their wings over the place of the ark, and the cherubim overshadowed the ark and its poles. So it gives you an idea of just how large it is. You know it's probably already at least six feet um, in one measurement, uh, one dimension, um, because... It has uh, Aaron's rod in it, which would be a walking stick, would probably, which would probably be five or six feet tall. Um, I would think maybe even taller than that. But uh, it has that, and the angels are so large that their wings can spread out and cover it. Um, verse 9, the poles extended so that the head ends of the poles of the ark could be seen from the holy place in front of the inner sanctuary. But they could not be seen from out from outside, and they are there to this day. So that last part, we'll take that first. The to this day means to the point where this was scribed or written or continued and then documented so that um, eventually we have it in, in what we call the Bible, because it wasn't always a, a, a book full of all these different books. <laughs> At some point, they were different. Um, uh, their own thing, their own scriptures, their own 
uh, presentations and then compiled into one singular book known as the Bible. Uh, so um, when it talks about the poles, it's talking about how the ark would be carried around, even though it had all, all those uh, supernatural abilities uh, attributed to it, it still, for whatever reason, needed to be carted around, held, carried around. So the way I picture it is if you imagine a chest with two uh, circles um, at the bottom of it, and or circles at the bottom of it, maybe four of them, I would think, that you would use as sort of the axles for it, and then they pass the poles through the circles so that the people carrying it could lift it from either side and carry it around. That's how it, the description of it um, looks in my uh, mind. Um, so that's what it's talking about, though, the poles for carrying it. Um, verse 10, nothing was in the ark except the two tablets, which Moses put there at Horeb when the Lord made a covenant with the children of Israel when they had come out of Egypt. So um, now it's giving the contents of what was in the ark at this time. The two tablets, that's what the Ten Commandments, as we know them, were um, engraved on. Verse 11, and it came to pass. Oh, so it's not even mentioning the manna or Aaron's rod being in there. Um, they're saying at this point, so I guess those things are somewhere else. Probably set up in other um, holy places, temples, churches, synagogues. At this time, maybe they were used as the one holy relic that people could uh, tie back to their religion and um, sort of like a touchstone where they could go and worship, I would think, sort of like how people think of the Holy Grail or um, um, other articles that have survived uh, through time, like Mecca, the, uh, and that people can still go to. Um, Verse 11, and it came to pass when the priests came out of the most holy place. For all the priests who were present and had sanctified themselves without keeping to their divisions. So clearly not just the high priest, singular can go there, but all the priests who were present and had sanctified themselves and went there. Uh, verse 12, at least said, sanctified themselves, did they... Yeah, they came out of the holy, most holy place. So it's not exclusive to the one singular high priest, unless it's because this is just now being dedicated. Um, but, and, you know, we've seen how even though it's said to be from God, the commandments seem, to, not the commandments, but the different marching orders seem to change like a human would do, not like a God who sees the end from the beginning would do. But, you know, we're just reading it. Verse um. 12. And the Levites, who were the singers, um, all those of Asaph and Heman and Jedekin, with their sons and their brethren, stood at the east end of the altar, clothed in white linen, having cymbals, stringed instruments, and harps, and with them 120 priests sounding the trumpets. So you can think of the choir, the band, uh, the musical praise. Um, being present there also. Verse 13, indeed it came to pass when the trumpeters and the singers were as one to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, for he's good, 
for his mercy endures forever, that the house the house of the Lord was filled with a cloud. So now as the choir is getting stirred up and as the people are giving praise with um, music and what's said, if you see the footnote there, it's saying it can be compared to Psalm 106, verse 1, um, because that seems like either when David wrote the Psalms, if that was a Psalm David wrote, because um, not all of them were written by David or attributed to David, but if it was one that he wrote, then clearly he used this verse as it most likely as some inspiration. Since this um, presumably, I guess, happened during his time. So maybe that's why he wrote um, that psalm. Um, at any rate, it seems, so now they're giving praise and stuff. And um, let's see what happens. Verse 14. Uh, oh, so then they're giving praise and stuff. And then the place gets sort of overwhelmed with, I guess, would be saying um, the presence of God, where it says it's being a giant cloud is showing up and filling the place where they are. So um, it would be like um, what comes to mind anyway. Is when Jesus is on the mount before his uh, crucifixion and he has a couple of the disciples with him uh, after he's transfigured before them basically illuminated filled with light while they after they witness it then a cloud shows up and um, a voice um, presumably a message from God shows up while that cloud passes through and then after that the uh, interaction with two people who had already passed away um, Elijah and um, and uh, Moses with Jesus in that moment. They were gone in that moment as we've read. Um, so that's what comes to mind when it says here that as they're giving praise, they, the place was filled with a cloud. Then verse 14, so that the priests could not continue ministering because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. So it was so over overwhelming, the cloud and the presence of um presumably God or whatever entity they're worshiping at that moment, it was so overwhelming that the priests couldn't even go on with their religious ceremony, which may be a hidden message there. Religious ceremony is not Christianity. It's traditions of men that are just being passed out, passing as the word of God, uh, and in modern times passing as Christianity, even though it doesn't align with what Christ actually says. And that's what we as Christians are supposed to know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. Jesus tells us that's what the will of God is. And that we have life everlasting. That's the will of God. And Jesus tells us the work of God is to believe in him whom he sent, meaning Jesus. So that's what the will and the work of God are. That's what we as red letter Christians are supposed to be pursuing. What it is God would have us do and say and know. Um, and separate that from everything else. Even if we um, uh, adhere to other things, still separate that from what we know to be our gospel truth is what I would think, is what I try to practice. Um, that's just me. And this is just the end of this chapter. So that's where we'll end this reading. As always, thank you for joining me for The Naked Truth. Hope you'll join me again and hope to see you next time. Peace be with you.